following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. The Gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the story of how Jesus came to earth taking on the form of a human being, a servant. And He lived a perfect, sinless life in accordance with the Word of God. And then He willingly laid down His life as a sacrifice. He was a substitute for sinners. He allowed Himself to be beaten. He allowed Himself to be killed. And He was buried and then He rose victoriously on the third day proving that He is God in flesh and that His sacrifice was ultimately acceptable to God. And so that the plan of redemption as it unfolded, it was fulfilled in Christ. And so everything He did on our behalf secured salvation for all those who would believe and trust in Jesus. Now, that's the truth. That's a true story. It's a historical fact. But how does it work in real life? How does that story affect you today? Other than the fact that if you trust in Christ, your eternity is sealed. But what about today? What about right now? How does the Gospel work in real life? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, as a preparation to our final paragraph of Philemon, Paul would write to the Corinthian church that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and He's committed to us the word of reconciliation. So in other words, God gave us the task to continue what He did. In Christ. So we're supposed to take that word, that message, and pass it on. He continues in verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's the gospel being preached. See, the church had to recognize what they're supposed to be doing. Not just, okay, awesome, Jesus died for us, we're going to heaven. Uh, well, what about everybody else? God's given us the ministry of reconciliation. We are ambassadors for God, begging the rest of humanity, be reconciled to God. We, we beg you on behalf of Christ. And then as a, a closing summary to that little paragraph, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, Paul would write, He made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. That's the, the great substitute. Jesus took our place. He took our sin and He gave us His righteousness. And we, we really made out well on that deal. But here's what's ironic, almost interesting, striking to see how the, this doctrine of justification by faith, Jesus justifies sinners by His death, through His blood 
on the cross. This doctrine of justification, which is central to the gospel message, is now front and center in the closing section of Philemon. And it's as if Paul is living out the gospel in his life, in his circumstances, in the life of this church that meets in Philemon's house to demonstrate how the gospel works in real life. It's not just a good message, although it is good, but it's true and it works in real life. Let me read this final paragraph here, two paragraphs, beginning in verse 17 of Philemon, and we'll finish out this, this short letter. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, If, then, you regard me a partner, accept him as you would me. But if he's wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you since I know you will do even more than what I say. At the same time, also, prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the Word of God. Now, the way this letter ends is really, really interesting to me. Because Paul started last week, in in the section we we read last week, he started his appeal on behalf of this guy, Onesimus, this former slave who was a part of this community in and around Colossae. And now he brings that appeal to its fullest extent. And there are several things about his message that we can take and then apply to our lives because Paul is really clearly almost putting himself in the place of Jesus and acting out the Gospel. Let me tell you what I mean. There's four things in this last paragraph I think that would help us to understand what's happening. Number one, maintain unity in the Gospel. Maintain unity in the Gospel. You look at verse 17 very very quickly and you see that Paul is considered a partner in the fellowship of Christ. Well, guess what? If Paul is a partner in the fellowship of Christ, Onesimus is too. Now, Onesimus is the subject of the letter. Paul is writing to Philemon about Onesimus, who is a wayward servant who's left the church in Philemon's house and gone to see where Paul is in the city in prison, and then he got saved, right? So if he got saved, isn't he in the family too? Right? We're all in the family of God, right? If you're saved, if you believe in Jesus, you trust Jesus, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Well, so Paul is saying, if I'm in the family, he's in the family. 
We're believing. We're trusting in the same Jesus. So, so here's what he's saying. If I'm justified in Christ, Onesimus, your, your, your former servant, he's justified in Christ. So if you would receive me, if I showed up and you would welcome me in, then you better welcome him in too. Because he's in the same family. And so Paul is stressing this, and it's really interesting. Uh, if you, I'm going to tell you, there, uh, every time you study the Word, there's more and more reasons to why people should really take a look at the original language. Because when we translate this thing to English, we miss out on some stuff, like some clear pictures, like some almost neon flashing signs of some things that, that, that we need to know. The word that Paul uses for, uh, you consider me a partner, it's the same root word for koinonia, fellowship. So you're saying, I, I'm a partner in the fellowship, I'm in the fellowship, I'm a partner in the gospel. Well, this brother is too. So he should be welcomed as if he were me. So we need to have unity among believers. Unity in the church. And that is made possible in the Gospel. Number two, support one another in the Gospel. Verses 18 and 19, Paul is now addressing the past behavior of Onesimus because obviously he's fled from the church. He did something wrong. And that's, that's past tense. But there are consequences, right? I tell people this sometimes, when, especially when I run into people that I haven't seen in a while, like people from high school, people from college, and I, I just had that opportunity uh, two weeks, three weeks ago? Two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. So I'm up at a football game at Clemson, and I'm surrounded by a bunch of guys that I was in college with, and it, it never fails. You do what for a living? You what? You're a preacher? Wow. I guess they were just, you know, lower in the bar that day. They didn't pay attention to they must not have vetted you all that well. Yeah, I said, Well, you know, the grace of God is amazing. Uh but that's the thing. I wasn't always a preacher. Therefore I also wasn't always a Christian. And so the way I acted before I met Jesus is a lot different than the way I act after I met Jesus. Anybody in here glad that people don't judge you based on what you did before Jesus? I mean, Jesus is supposed to make a difference in your life, right? He's supposed to transform you into a new creation. Old things passed away, new things have come. And I'm a work in progress. Don't, you know, don't be fooled. I'm not there. God's still working on me. I'm thankful He is. But Paul is bringing up the past behavior of Onesimus. What he did before he got saved. And he tells Philemon, hey, if you've lost anything, if he owes you anything, I'll take care of it. I'll handle it. Don't, don't hold that past sin against him. I'll take care of it. So he's supporting his new brother in the Gospel. Because if you look at the text, if he's wronged you, if he owes you, if you've suffered any loss, 
because of his behavior, I'll take care of it. And then verse 19, he says, as a way to kind of put some more strength behind it, hey, I'm writing this with my own hand. The Apostle Paul. I'm telling you, I'll repay it. You can trust me. Okay? So he says, um, you need to just discharge whatever debt you think he owes you, and I'll handle it. But then I want you to look at this little last bit of verse 19. This is kind of, it's kind of funny, you know, it makes you chuckle a little bit when it says, not to mention. And so in the original text, he says in verse 19, uh, I will, let's see, he said, charge this to my account. I, Paul, write this, have written this with my hand. I will repay. And then he says, I will repay in order that I won't have to say what I'm thinking. But you know what? By, by, by saying he's not going to say what he's thinking, he just said what he was thinking. Right? So whenever you say not to mention, well then don't mention it. But he mentioned it anyway. He said, by the way, don't, don't forget that the reason you got saved is because I preached the gospel to you. And, and so you got saved the same way Onesimus got saved. Because both of y'all heard me preach the gospel. So, before you push back on the fact that I'm trying to take care of this man's debt for him, before you push back against that, just remember, uh, you've got a church in your house now. How did that happen? You, you heard the gospel. Oh, who, who preached the gospel to you? Oh, yeah, that, that was me. I did that. So, he's trying to say, before you get in a little uproar here, let's remember the big picture. You got saved because you heard the gospel. This servant of yours got saved because he heard the gospel. You heard the same gospel from the same preacher. You trusted in the same Jesus. So whether you like it or not, you're in the same family. And you're on the same level ground. So don't be so quick to judge someone on past pre-Jesus behavior, we should support one another in the Gospel. Number three, encourage one another in the Gospel. Verse 20, Paul says, after he's made this plea, and he says, welcome him, don't hold this debt against him, I'll take care of it. And then he says, yes brother, verse 20, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Now here's a little uh, word play. Okay? So and see you don't you don't see this unless you look at that original Greek language. The when he says benefit, let me benefit from you or you could also understand it as rejoice because of you. The Greek word he uses there, if you put them both on paper, they they look almost like the same word because the name Onesimus and the word for benefit are almost the same. They're related. You remember last week we said, what does Onesimus mean? The name. It means useful, beneficial. So now Paul is using that kind of as a little, a little dig. He says, hey, uh, I'm going to use a word that sounds like your brother here that, that you don't realize is your brother, but you need to count him as a brother. Onesimus. So let me rejoice in you. Let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my spirit. Refresh my heart. My, my insides refresh me in the Lord. And so, how would he do that? How could Philemon refresh Paul's heart? By being obedient to the Gospel. 
by treating this brother as a brother. By putting the past behind him and realizing, hey, I know we had our differences in the past, but you found Jesus, and it's the same Jesus that I love, so we're both in the same family. So man, past is past. Hey, let's, let's trust Jesus and follow him together. And by the way, that's what fellowship in the church looks like. It's when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity and push forward together for the sake of the gospel. So he says, let me benefit from you, refresh my heart. And Paul then says he's confident in Philemon's obedience. He's convinced of it. He's persuaded, in fact, that, that Philemon is going to do even more than what he says. So here's the interesting thing about that. It's almost alluding to the fact that, hey, Onesimus left as a servant. But he's coming back as a brother. So maybe not only is his spiritual standing changed, maybe his earthly standing is going to change. He left as a servant. Maybe he's going to be emancipated. Maybe Philemon's going to say, hey, you know what? You're not going to be the servant anymore. We're, all, we're in the same family. It wouldn't be right. So Paul says, I'm convinced you're going to be obedient to the gospel and I think you're even going to do more than I'm suggesting you do. N.T. Wright said that even though the main aim of the letter is the permanent reconciliation of a master and a slave, the even more might even hint at that second purpose that perhaps Philemon would be willing to emancipate Onesimus. If not immediately, at least when Paul comes to stay, as he alludes to in verse 22. But we need to do some things based on the Gospel. Maintain the unity in the Gospel. Support one another Encourage one another. Last thing, number four. Cultivate fellowship in the gospel. Cultivate. You know what cultivate means? That's an agricultural term. Help it grow. Tend to it. Here's a little interesting note. Did you know when... You go back to Genesis. I believe it's 2.19. Maybe before that. Uh, when, when God put Adam in the garden, He put him in there with some commands, right? He put man in the garden. He said, cultivate it and keep it. T Tend to my stuff. That's what God says. And, and those words in the Hebrew can be also translated, cultivate, keep, worship, and obey. Isn't that interesting? When God sets His creation and a manager over His creation, He intends for us to cultivate, to keep, to worship Him, to obey His design and plan. And so that's exactly what Paul is trying to Get across here to Philemon and the church in his house. Verse 22 to the end of the letter. He says, At the same time, prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. You know what he's saying? He's saying, Get ready. Anticipate God's goodness. Anticipate God's hearing and answering of your prayers. Because first of all, Paul believes 
that he is going to be given graciously to the church that he's writing to as a, a visitor, being able to leave prison and go see them by the grace of God as a result of the prayers of the church. So that means the church is praying for Paul. But here's the funny thing. Hey, if they're praying for Paul, they ought to be praying for Onesimus. I'll be praying for all the other workers over there, not just Paul. And and I'm going to just say this as a personal application. Take it for what it's worth. I appreciate more than I could probably ever communicate to you. Those of you who pray for me, I, I can never tell you how much I appreciate that. But, does it make sense? To pray for the preacher and not pray for the church. Just because I'm in this role and I I have this calling and this responsibility before God, just because I'm standing where I'm standing, there's nothing special about me. Ask my family. There's nothing special about me. Pray for me, please. Pray for each other just as much. Pray for the church. Paul believes that as a result of the church's prayers, he's going to be graciously allowed to leave prison and visit the church. So he says, get ready, prepare me a lodging. And then he sends his final greetings as a way of closing, and he lists some people. And each group has a particular designation. Epaphras, who's the courier taking the letter to Colossians, to the Colossians church and to Philemon, he's the fellow prisoner in Christ. So Epaphras greets the church as Paul's fellow prisoner in Christ. Then these other four, Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, they greet the church as Paul's fellow workers. But what's, what's he doing? Why does that even matter? Why would you close your letter that way? Other than the fact that the Holy Spirit's saying, hey, write this down. Okay, that's a given. But why would He do that? Because there is relationship between those who are working in the common cause of taking the Gospel to the nations. And so, when Paul's sitting in prison, he's not alone. Epaphras, is, he's my fellow prisoner in Christ. He's, he is bound the same way I am because he is suffering for the cause of Christ in the Gospel. These other four, Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, they're my fellow workers. They're, they're right in here with us. They're not in prison, but they're working for the sake of the Gospel. And they all send their greetings as a way to keep that fellowship close. And Paul prays finally in verse 25, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is with the spirit of the church, Philemon and the church. And so, N.T. Wright concludes here that Paul has been praying for Philemon, and now it appears that, just like fellow members of the fellowship ought to be doing, Philemon and his household have also been praying for Paul. And so, the word that Paul uses when he says, hey, I think I'm going to be um, given to you, granted to you, verse 22... The root word of that is grace. By God's grace, I'm going to come visit you 
And so the church has prayed for Paul's release, and Paul believes he will experience that as a gift of God's grace. So how does this all conclude for us? Because this whole letter, Paul's whole understanding of fellowship, it's dominated this whole letter, and it's the same grace that's now he's praying, let the let the grace of God be with your spirit. So it'll be let loose. As we pray, as we work, so that your life, your home, your church, it's going to be the scene of this beautiful reconciliation between Philemon and Onesimus, a a master and a slave that parted on not so good terms. But now Jesus gets involved and there's the opportunity for reconciliation. And let me just say this in closing. Only the Gospel could compel people to reconcile with one another when all the earthly circumstances tell them otherwise. Do you have a conflict with somebody? Are both of y'all in the family of God? Only the bond of peace that's created by the indwelling Holy Spirit can enable human beings to resist the temptation of the flesh and surrender to the will of God in Christ and say, you know what? In the grand scheme of things, this disagreement or that conflict, or what, that's not that big a deal. Hey, if we're brothers and sisters in Christ... That takes priority over any kind of earthly disagreement. And and by the Holy Spirit, in each believer, we ought to be able to submit to that, submit to the Holy Spirit, and say, you know what, I'm put what whatever about that conflict. We we're brothers in Christ, we're sisters in Christ, we're family in Christ. That's what is important. We need to be reconciled. We don't need to have this tension whatever it may be. A relationship with Jesus Christ is not just something you add as a footnote to your life. Jesus is your life. Jesus is the Gospel. Let me close with this quote by a preacher from long, long ago about four or five hundred years ago, matter of fact. Here's what he wrote about this passage. It would be a sign of haughty pride if he should be ashamed to count as his brother those whom God numbers among his sons. If we're in the same family, the family of God, And that supersedes earthly connection. It it would be so if if I can if I can't look at another brother or sister in Christ and count them as a brother or sister when they're counted as one of God's children, then it seems like I might know better than God. And and that's just not that's just not the truth. 
God has entrusted to us the word of reconciliation. And that's how the gospel works in real life. That doesn't mean we, we may not let it work the way it's supposed to work. But that's how it works in real life. That's the kind of thing that can happen only with Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.